Well, we're continuing our series on uh, AWARE, and this week we're talking about being aware of missions. In order to understand the Bible, in order to really understand what the Bible's all about, we have to learn to read the Bible missiologically, with missions in mind. That's the perspective that God wrote the Bible from. He had a very specific goal in mind when uh, he inspired those uh, 66 books of the Bible to be written, and I believe it has everything to do with missions. So if we want to really understand the Bible, we have to learn how to read it missiologically, that is to say from God's perspective, from his viewpoint uh, about uh, missions. That's what the Bible, the Bible is a missionary book from start to finish. Uh, a few months ago when I had the opportunity of sharing, I told you about my calling into ministry and how I was saved, you know, right here in Green Bay over at uh, Spencer Lake Youth Camp, went to a uh, a Bible camp in Wapaka, actually, but uh, grew up here in Green Bay. And shortly after I was born again, I uh, went to North Central University in Minneapolis, and I was sitting up in the balcony of that uh, school, and we had a missionary speaker. He uh, talked about the call of God and the lostness of man and the need for laborers and uh, gave an, an altar call. In other words, saying to people, if you feel like like this message is for you, that God is speaking to you, then I want you to come forward. And I did that. That was in um, about November of 1980. And I really felt like God was calling me to be a missionary. We don't really have those kind of services anymore, unfortunately. Maybe we should, where we're throwing the, the opportunity out there for God to speak to people individually and call you, uh, maybe particularly young people, but not, not just young people, anybody, to uh, Give the rest of your life to serving God on the foreign field or uh, uh, in some capacity in, in missions. And so I did that back in 1980, and that has sort of been the defining uh, purpose and, and uh, motivation for my whole life. And so this morning, what I want to share with you is about my own mission statement. I guess this message is kind of my own personal mission statement. Like if you go to McDonald's, you notice on the wall there they have their mission statement, like to make the best hamburger the fastest or greasiest or whatever it is. I don't know. But uh, this message is kind of my personal mission statement. And, and my goal is that you would find your place in God's mission, even as I have uh, wrestled and struggled and strived uh, to find and, and live out mine. God's plan has always been a redemptive blessing of the nations. And all Scripture should be read with a view toward its development of the theme of God's promise to bless the nations. I know that's kind of a lot for one sentence, but did, did you get that? There's a very wonderful phrase that I want to introduce, and it's from uh, Latin called missio dei. That's uh, Latin for the mission of God. Missio being mission and dei, D-E-I, Latin for God. And that's what we're going to look at here this morning is what is the missio dei? What is the mission of God as it's described uh, throughout Scripture? What's the logical and proper response to the missio dei that is so authoritatively described in the Bible? I would say it's simply this, participation. This message, which probably won't give you a lot of warm fuzzies, but I hope it does make you think, has as its goal your participation. And there are three ways that you can apply this message this morning. You can pray, you can give, and you can go. 
That's the practical application when it comes to missions. How can I, living in De Pere, be involved in this great commission, this missio dei, this mission of God? And the answer is by praying, by giving, and by going. And if somebody says to me, oh, I, I believe in missions, I'm with you 100%, Gary, but you're not praying, you're not giving, you're not going, then I would say that you're not telling me the truth, all right? Uh, if you want to have meaning in your life, start making some sacrifices, the way you heard Steve and Heather talk about here. Why is life so meaningful to them at this time? I don't think it's just because they're going down to St. Thomas next week, although that wouldn't be bad either. But it's because they've made sacrifices. If you want to have a life that is meaningful, that is significant, make some sacrifices. Learn how to be an intercessor. Learn how to be a hilarious, generous giver. And perhaps even say, yes, Lord, I will go. And I'm going to talk to you in a, in a few minutes about a missions trip that uh, Life Church is planning. And I'd be thrilled to, to, to be the leader of that missions trip to uh, southern France, where we're going to minister to some people. So there is practical application to this kind of uh, uh, cerebral message here this morning. You know, people ask these, these questions, uh, who am I? Uh, where am I going? What's the meaning of history? Where's history leading to? And I think all of those questions for us as, as believers in Jesus Christ are answered in that phrase, missio dei, in the mission of God. If I belong to, to God through Jesus Christ, then God's mission is really my mission. So what is God's mission? There's something very fundamental and elementary and yet very important that I want to communicate with you this morning. Touched by God, we look to the Bible for clarification of what has happened to us and how we must respond. We discover a mission that God has had since the beginning of since before the foundation of the world, and an empowerment that compels us to join the Missio Dei in God's redemptive pursuit of the nations. That's what God is up to. He's pursuing the nations. From the very beginning, we're going to look at here in Genesis, God has been about pursuing the redemption of the nations. And if you want to have a meaningful, victorious life, I invite you to join the Missio Dei. It begins in, in Genesis begins in the first couple of chapters of Genesis where God says, I have created you, humankind, mankind, in my image. God said we're created in his image. That's the foundation of missions right there. Maybe we think of, um, you know, the Great Commission from Matthew or, or you see uh, the pictures of starving children. That's what missions is all about. Actually, it's not. Missions is all about understanding that from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, Every human being on the face of the earth was created in the image of God. That has two implications for missions and, and the Missio Dei that we're buying into this morning. Number one, it demonstrates our capacity to have fellowship with God. If we're born and created in the image of God, that means that I can have fellowship with God. And that means every human being on the face of the planet has the possibility of having fellowship with God. Whether you were born in Illinois or Iraq, you are not outside of God's grace. You were created to have fellowship with God. Sometimes we think people of a certain ethnicity, like maybe militant Muslims or, or, or Hindus that are lost deep in India and 
how could they ever be saved? Or maybe even my relatives that are so adamant against my being born again, how could they ever be saved? Well, the good news is that if you're created in the image of God, which the Bible says we are, you are a candidate for God's grace. I, I experienced that shortly after arriving on uh, the mission field in the island of Madagascar back in 1990. Got there and took a lay of the land, a huge island, 15 million people. And there are certain areas of Madagascar that have been completely neglected by any sort of church group whatsoever. One particular tribe called the Bara kind of caught my attention because they were told to be the most uh, sauvage, if that's the French word actually, the most uncivilized people in the whole island. They would kill you just as soon as look at you. They had no interest in, in uh, anything civil. Uh, money had nothing to do with them. They traded with cows. Everything was all about the zebu cows. And so they were extremely uh, remote people. And I said, well, that's where I want to go. <laughs> so I uh, figured out how to do that. I had to take a helicopter, actually. 70 miles off the main road was where the Mikubica Mountains were and the Barra people lived. And uh, landed there with the crusade team. And can you imagine beginning to share the gospel with people that have never heard of Jesus before, never even seen a white guy. Can you imagine me being the first white guy you've seen too? That'd be scary. And uh, so I said, well, let's be begin with Genesis. So they sat under a tree. There were about uh, two, 300 people that crowded under a tree for six to eight hours a day. And we started off on a Sunday and I started with Genesis and they just couldn't get enough. And you know, you tell Old Testament stories and kind of act a little animated, and they love that. And so all week long, they were there. And finally, by the end of the, the week, uh, we showed the Jesus film that night as well. By the end of the week, I threw out the invitation, and I said, now, in light of all that you've heard this week, if you would like to become a follower of Christ and receive Zanahari, the creator, into your life, we're going to give you the opportunity of doing that. And everybody did, all 300 people in the whole village raised their hand because the chief said, we're going to do it. So everyone did it, whether they wanted to or not. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> and uh, you wonder about how serious it was. Well, after the uh, prayer, I said to those people there, that were gathered there, I said, now you have these, these uh, bracelets on your wrists and on your ankles, these amulets, these um, uh, symbols that are a, a connection you've made, a, a covenant really, with the witch doctor. Whenever they would go to visit the witch doctor, they were given these things as reminders. And I said, we're going to break that covenant right now because you've given yourself to Jesus Christ. So they tore them off. We put them all in a big pile and took kerosene from the, the generator and threw it on those things and lit it on fire. And here we are standing around this, this huge bonfire, about 300 people or so, raising our hands, praising God. And, you know, I think I've died and gone to heaven. I'm thinking, this is what I was created to do. This is like Acts chapter 29, you know, it was just an awesome experience. And those people who were once thought of to be unsavable, in fact, the church leaders that I worked with told me they did not have a soul. <laughs> Can you imagine? So foreign to our way of thinking now, you know. But I was said, no, I was told, no need to waste your time going to the bar. They don't even have a soul. They are so uncivilized, you know. But guess what? They do have a soul. And the people that live next to you have a soul as well. And your relatives that you think are unreachable have a soul because we're created in the image of God. 
So we're not outside the purview of God's grace. The second implication of being created in the image of God is that we are created with the capacity of representing our Creator. Now that's huge as well, because that says that those whom God has chosen and favored with His image are the ones that He will also use to bring His blessing to other people as well. Once God created humankind in His image, He commissioned them, male and female, to rule the world, in fact. One of Adam's first jobs was to name the animals. You remember that? And naming implies authority. God gave Adam authority over the animals. He sent them out. He, he sent Adam out to name all the animals. And that was a bit of a, of a shadow, or the theological word there is an antecedent to Paul's New Testament teaching that as Christian believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're created in the image of God with the capacity to know God and with the capacity to represent him to those who have yet to receive him. Now that's huge, because that sets the, the breadth of our, of our task, and it also tells us the agency or the means by which our task will be accomplished. Well, as we move on in Genesis, of course, sin enters the world, kind of threw a monkey wrench uh, into the whole uh, plan for, for a while, and and now the way humankind related to God was, was different. It wasn't just Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden the way it started. Now a new way, now a redemption was announced that God would redeem the people who were trapped under sin's weight. And that was first announced in Genesis 3.15 where it says the seed of the woman, the seed meaning Jesus, the woman meaning Eve, the seed of the woman would bruise or strike the head of the serpent. That's the first announcement of the gospel all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And then from Genesis 1 through 12, we see the foundational statement of this missio dei. Here's what I mean by that. In, uh, early in Genesis, we read about the flood, right? The flood comes on the earth and everything is wiped out. But uh, immediately following the flood... The Bible tells us that the house of Shem, S-H-E-M, okay, now I know this is a little bit more like a Bible study than a sermon, but, but follow me. I think it'll do something for you, if you will. The house of Shem is set off in a special, special sense as the people of God. And then later we know, of course, that Abraham came from the household of Shem, and Abraham is the head of the, the Jewish nation. So right away after the flood, God made provision to redeem his people. The Missio Dei began all the way back in the Garden of Eden after the flood. And God said, all right, I'm going to choose a certain people, these Jewish people, in fact, and through them, through the household of Shem, which of course later became Abraham, uh, I will redeem my people. And that was further illustrated in, uh, in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. If you remember reading in, in Genesis 11, uh, they were flaunting themselves. They were lifting themselves up with pride. They said, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, their desire was to make a name for themselves, and, and that was opposed to the reign of God. So as a judgment, God confused the languages and scattered the people uh, all throughout the earth. Now, all that... The choosing of Shem 
and the scattering of the peoples throughout the earth. That sets the stage for the Scripture that I'm going to ask you to turn to. That was kind of a long introduction, huh? Whew. Genesis 12, if you'll turn there with me, Genesis 12. In order to really understand the impact of this, I think you have to understand the background to it. Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a monumental announcement, given the background that I just walked you through. This is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And I believe that this sets the stage for the whole rest of the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, you have to read it missiologically. Remember I used that big hairy word in the beginning? To understand the Bible missiologically means this, okay? We recognize that God has a purpose in why he wrote the Bible and how that in includes us. That purpose is called the missio dei, the mission of God. And here in Genesis 12, we read of God's blessing to Abraham, okay, and then later to Abraham's seed. Let's call that now, okay, think with me here for a minute. Let's call this the top-line blessing. Why the top line? Because it's at the top of the line in Genesis 12 too. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Let's call that, just because I want you to follow me here for a few minutes, let's call that the top line of the Abrahamic covenant. God says, Abraham, I'm choosing you, and I'm going to bless you. Now, if we look at this through the lens of the New Testament, that would mean our salvation. We have been chosen by God. We've received the gift of eternal life. We have our salvation. It's the greatest blessing that any of us could ever receive. So that's the top line blessing. Then the Abrahamic covenant continues down to verse 3, where it ends by saying at the, at the bottom line of uh, verse 3, it says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the bottom line. Okay, you follow me? We have a top line. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And then we have a bottom line, which says, and because of my blessing on your life, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the bottom line. Now, that top line, bottom line stuff is how to read the Bible missiologically. We can trace that theme throughout every book in the Bible, literally. I want to give you just a couple examples of that. After we finish with the Abrahamic covenant, we can move ahead to Genesis uh, chapter 22, and we see this golden thread that weaves its way throughout the Scripture. Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18. Abraham is being tested here, okay? Genesis 22, offering Isaac on the altar. Abraham passes the test. Then an angel comes along and confirms the covenant. And here he says to Abraham in Genesis 22, 17, Abraham, because you've been obedient to me, I'm going to bless you. And then in verse 18, he says, and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. That's the top line. And then there's the bottom line again in Genesis 22. Let's move ahead now to Genesis 26. Okay, Genesis 26. The Lord confirms this top line, bottom line blessing through Isaac once again. And he says to Isaac in verse 3, Isaac, because of your obedience, I will bless you. That's the top line. And then in verse 4 of Genesis 26, and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. 
So the immediate seed is Isaac, but we know the ultimate fulfillment will be through Christ. That's the seed, as Paul talks about in Romans. We'll get there in just a minute. So let's continue on through the, the Old Testament here as we follow this top line, bottom line. We get to the book of Joshua. If I just jump around here a little bit because we don't have time to look at every, everyone, we'd be here all day. In Joshua, God blessed the Israelites by miraculously drying up the Jordan River and they were able to come into the Promised Land. A part of this top-line blessing for Israel was not only uh, knowledge of God, but also land. He promised them an inheritance of land. We call that the, the Holy Land, Palestine. And he also promised them an heir, which, of course, was Isaac. And later, we come to understand the full implication was in Christ himself. So in Joshua, the top-line blessing God says is, I'm going to give you land. And then in Joshua 4.24, chapter 4, verse 24, here's why he did it, okay? In fact, this is why God does everything, as we saw in our video a few minutes ago. He did this so that all peoples on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Why did God bless these Israelites with their own land and drying up the Jordan and coming into the promised land? The reason for that is the bottom line blessing so that all peoples on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. So I would submit to you this morning that everything God does, reading the Bible missiologically, is with the goal of winning the nations to God. That's it. Why am I here? Why doesn't God rapture us as soon as he saves us? Wouldn't that be nice? You know, you, you say the sinner's prayer and whoop, up you go to heaven. You know? But why does he leave us here on earth? because he loves the nations and because he wants us to orient our life around this missio day. Call it the Great Commission. Call it the Abrahamic Covenant. It's the mission of God. And he wants us to get in line with his mission to where we say, all right, Lord, your agenda is my agenda. Now I've got to read Psalm 67 to you here. If you'll turn, that, turn to that uh, book of the Bible and the Psalms. Most of you, I think, are familiar with the Psalms. And then to chapter 67, Psalm 67. This is a great Missio Dei psalm. And I want to give you a little test here, okay? Remember we talked about that top line, bottom line thing? I will bless you, top line. All nations on earth will be blessed through you, bottom line. All right, tell me if you see that here in Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. What is that? Top line. Thank you, Pastor Mary. She's listening. Everybody see that? That's the top line blessing. God bless us. God make your face to shine upon us. Now, the problem with us is that that's usually where we end, right? It's always about us. Lord, bless me. Help me. I have bills. I have sickness. I have children. I have whatever, you know? That's usually where our Christianity and our relationship with God ends is the top line. But what I want to challenge you with this morning is to be a bottom line Christian as well. Now, verse 2, so that, here's the key right there, those two words are so important. Why does God bless us the way he does? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. What's that? That's the bottom line. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. There's the top line God, make your face known to us. Bless us. And then there's the bottom line, so that, that's the purpose. 
There's a reason behind all this singing and giving and praying and Bible reading and all this stuff so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We could trace that top line, bottom line thing through dozens of the Psalms, actually, and all through the historical books throughout the Old Testament. I just want to name one more while we're on this tour, this golden thread that weaves the entire Word of God together, this Missio Dei, and that is in the book of Jonah, all right? Jonah's a fascinating book because you have to understand that in the, in the Hebrew or Jewish mindset, they regarded themselves as the chosen of God, the elect, and all the blessings of God were for them alone. If you aren't a Jew, then everyone else is called a Gentile. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, then you're automatically a Gentile. That's uh, the framework of the Old Testament and even much of the New Testament as well. You have to understand who's a Jew and who's a Gentile. You're a Jew if you have Jewish lineage, if your family is Jewish. If you're not Jewish, then guess what? You're a Gentile. I imagine most of us here today are probably Gentiles. But here's the good news. Jonah, as a Jewish prophet, was called by God to bring this message of salvation to Gentile people. Now, you know, we've read this and we've probably seen veggie tales about Jonah. It's like, well, yeah, no big deal. We've known this for a long time. But to people back then, this was big news. This was like scandalous news, in fact. They couldn't even fathom that God would call a Jewish person to go to a city called Nineveh. Oh, Nineveh was wicked. Nineveh was like the Bara people, very sauvage, you know, very wild and uncivilized. And in fact, uh, the history tells us that the Ninevites, after they conquered their enemies, they would cut their heads off, cut the heads of their enemies off and stack them up in a pyramid like a trophy of their conquest, you know. And these are the people that God spoke to Jonah about and said, go there and tell them. And well, Jonah's like, you know, no thanks, Lord. I think I'll go for a boat ride. And you know the story. He ends up uh, uh, into the sea and swallowed by a great fish. And uh, finally, by the time the Lord gets a hold of him, he's in the belly of a fish. And he says, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And so the, the fish or whale, whatever it was, vomits him out. And here he lands on the shores of Nineveh. And uh, he preaches to the people of Nineveh, and all 110,000 of them repent. Even the animals, it says. I don't know if you've ever seen an animal. I mean, we have a dog, and that dog needs to repent once in a while, but I've never seen it. <laughs> never seen him repenting. What a powerful revival it was. What was God up to in that? I mean, he was trying to show us that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for those wicked, rebellious uh, God-haters called Ninevites, or maybe your family, or your neighbors, or, or people that we think are outside the scope of God's grace, he's telling us there's nobody that's outside the scope of my love. Now, this theme continues, this top line, bottom line, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. That continues into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of the New Testament announces to us that Jesus is the promised son of Abraham. And all throughout the Gospels, we build on this theme that what God promised as, as a seed, as a, as a blessing in the Old Testament is now fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Simeon, you remember Simeon, he shows up at the dedication of Jesus at the temple, and he's praising God. He's saying, my eyes have seen 
Now, the light for the Gentiles. He's looking at Jesus, a Jewish baby. And Simeon had this revelation from God that Jesus was not just for the Jews, but he was for the Gentiles. In fact, he's for the whole world. And the Gospels recount many uh, parables that show to us that, that Jesus and the kingdom of God is for the Gentile nations as well. And what a revelation that was. Think of the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Why is that such a, a powerful parable? Because the Samaritans were so unlikely to be recipients of God's grace. You know, you read the parable, you think, oh, it's the Levite, it's the Jew that would be favored. But actually, Jesus does a complete spin, turns everybody on their ear, and says it was the Samaritan who loved him. All right, the Samaritan's the hero. And Jesus was saying that this good news of the kingdom of God is for the Jewish people as well. I love that theme because it throws open the gates and it gives us a perspective of heaven and of the heart of God that I think we need to, to grasp in the depth of our soul this morning. And of course, we go on to Matthew chapter 28. You're probably familiar with that. We call that the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is just a repeating of the Abrahamic covenant. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And even there we have the top line, bottom line, because he says in verse 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, right? To you. I'm blessing you with authority to go in my name. Just as Adam had authority to name the animals, so I'm giving you my authority. You are my viceroy. You are my ambassador. Go in my name in my stead and preach the gospel to all creation. So you've got the top line, all authority given, and then the bottom line, go into the world and preach the gospel to all the, all the nations. Do you see a theme here? Do you see how we need to, to complete the cycle and not just be top line Christians say, oh Lord, bless me, and oh, I, I'm hurting and I need you. And God wants us to pour our hearts out to him. We had a time of prayer before. And that's right and that's appropriate, but that's only the top line. If you want to have meaning and significance in your Christian life, be a bottom line Christian as well by saying, all right, Lord, I want my life to be a blessing to the nations. I want people all over the world to be in heaven with me. And how do we do that? By praying, by giving, and by going. We can continue on in Acts chapter 1. This is very important here. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. If you have uh, your Bible, you can flip with me there real quick. I see that Dave just got up, and so I know that my time is limited here. Acts chapter 1, <laughs> Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Uh, I love this verse here. In fact, we're going to look at a few verses in Acts here. We've got top line, bottom line here as well. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Is that top line or bottom line? Top line. You'll receive power. You'll receive power. Why? Oh, so you can sit around all day and speak in tongues? Well, that's not a bad thing to do, but... That's not the only reason for it. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. There's the bottom line right there. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then we go from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. These 120 believers were sitting around in the upper room, praying and wondering what was going to happen now that Jesus had ascended into heaven. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, and they all begin to speak in other tongues. And the amazing thing about it was that it was tongues from Gentile nations. Can you imagine? These Jewish people thought that, you know, Jesus was just for them, the gospel was just for them, all of God's blessing was just for them, and, 
you know, all the Gentiles were really just to fuel the flames of hell. That was kind of the misconception in the Jewish mindset. And that's the conception that the Bible's written to correct, actually. And now these largely Jewish people begin speaking in tongues from Gentile nations. How do I know that? Because it says in verse 9, it talks about how we hear them speaking in our native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. They're speaking in Gentile languages, and it's from the Holy Spirit. How can this be? Well, the message was that God is after the nations. He's trying to redeem people from every language and nation and tribe. And you know, what an amazing thing, you know. And, 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 and the power of Pentecost is needed to do that. And I, I'm a Pentecostal. I tell you unashamedly, I speak in tongues every day. And if that's a blessing that you haven't received yet, I think you have a blessing yet to come. And wait on God. And I know there's, uh, you know, different ways. You can come to the altar. You can be praying at home. But if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet, that's a blessing that God will give you if you will ask him for it. We go from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10. What a powerful illustration of top line, bottom line. Here you have Peter, you know, Jewish guy, very close-minded up until this point, thinks all God's blessings are for the Jews. And then he has a vision. He's uh, sitting up on the, on the roof of his house, and, and he has a vision of this sheet coming down by uh, four corners. And, and uh, he says, Lord, I, I would never eat anything unclean. And, and then God says, well, don't say something unclean that, that I say is clean. And, and what God was saying is, don't call the Gentiles unclean. They're created in my image. So I love them, and I want them to experience the blessings of God just as you have. So uh, Peter says, all right, I'll go with this guy Cornelius who had come to see Peter. And They end up at Caesarea. Peter preaches to the people there, and they all get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says, and begin to speak in other tongues. What was God doing there? He was saying this message of the gospel is for the Gentiles. It's for everybody. Um, another one in uh, uh, Acts chapter 19, the Ephesian believers as well. These are idol worshipers. These Ephesians were people that would you know, worship false idols, and now they're saved, and, and Paul preaches to them, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in other tongues. It's an amazing thing that God is doing, saying clearly, my blessings are for the whole world not just for a certain group of people. And see, our tendency here is to think that all the blessings of God are just for us, you know, here at Life Church. And, well, we don't really, you know, we don't really care about what's happening outside the walls of this church. But the fact is that this church exists for the benefit of its non-members. You know, that's what being aware of mission is all about, is to realize that, yes, God, you have blessed me so that we could be a blessing to the nations. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is our source of power to truly fulfill the Great Commission and the mission of God. And it all culminates here, such a beautiful uh, ending to the story, in the book of Revelation. You know, what started off in the Garden of Eden weaves its way, this golden thread, this top line, bottom line blessing, I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. It culminates in the book of Revelation in a city, in the heavenly city, in the new Jerusalem. What began in a garden ends in a city. And here we are in Revelation chapter 5, if you have your Bibles and would turn there with me. Revelation chapter 5. This is so phenomenal. You're going to have a hallelujah breakdown when you read this. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. 
This is where the story ends. It began in a garden. It ends in a city. It ends around a throne. Revelation 5, 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. There's the bottom line blessing. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, who we know is Jesus. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Every time you pray for the nations, it adds to that golden bowl of incense. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Imagine that scene around the throne. Our goal, our purpose, the Missio Dei, and your mission is to populate that throne room with people from every tribe and language and nation on the face of the earth. That is our calling, Life Church. If we want to really live, we've got to allow the Missio Dei to become our mission as well. One of the ways you can apply that, as I mentioned earlier, was to sign up for the mission strip. And it's going to be to the south of France, to Marseille. So if you're interested in sort of taking the next step in your Missio Dei, take a look at the sign-up sheet out in the foyer there. But you can pray. You can give sacrificially. That brings meaning to life. Why does Jesus have so much authority? Because he paid the ultimate price. If you want to have authority and meaning in your life, begin to make sacrifices and invest in the Missio Dei. And, and also by going as well. God's the owner of all. I'm a manager, and I've been blessed to be a blessing. If we get that down right, we will be fulfilling the Missio Dei. God, you have blessed us so much. You've made us so full, Lord. And you've blessed us the way you told Abraham that you would, Lord. And, and yet we find ourselves now needing to become a bottom-line Christian as well, so that all the nations of the earth would hear and receive you. And I pray, Lord, that every person in this auditorium would make the transition from being a top-line Christian to a bottom-line Christian, not just concerned about our own stuff and our own blessing, but that we would be obsessed with the bottom line bringing the gospel to the nations by praying, by giving, by going. Lord, I pray that this would be a revolutionary thought that we could populate that throne room from Revelation that we just read about, Lord. We want to have people from every nation and language, Lord, people from Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and China and India and Mexico and Canada and Spain and Germany and France and people... Lord, we want to be responsible for bringing people from every nation on earth to heaven with us by our praying and by our giving and by our going. And I pray, Lord, that you would radicalize our life this morning by helping us to, to reach the bottom line of bringing the gospel to the nations. Now let's be bottom line believers as well who say, I am on a missio day. God's mission is my mission. Amen.